0: Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, Building Faith and Friendship. Great, we as a church have been busy working our way through one of the most famous teachings of Jesus, which is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we're looking at a section that is probably the most iconic And well known of Jesus' teaching. Turn the other cheek and love your enemy. But in order to really understand this teaching, we need to understand something of the context and the background over here. You will obviously know that Jesus was in Israel. But at that time, the Romans had invaded Israel and were occupying the land. As a result, most of the Jewish people living in the land had been exploited. And they were very poor. The Roman overlords had forced them to pay very high taxes. And so most of the Jews were very, very poor, except for a few who were actually very rich because they were complicit with the Romans. And it's within this context that a bunch of poor peasants, outcasts, start to follow Jesus. And there's nothing that they would like to see more than for the Roman occupation to come to an end and for the end of taxes. And Jesus gathers his followers, this bunch of peasants, on a hill and begins to teach them. And he says in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5, You've heard that it was said, And then he quotes from the Old Testament law, from the law of Moses, the Jewish law. Eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth. Now many people have used this phrase as a way to justify revenge. And it's led to the escalation of violence and hatred. But it's actually to totally misunderstand the original purpose and intention of that phrase. It was given to the judges to ensure that the punishment fitted the crime. It was to prevent the escalation of violence. See, within a cultural context where family rife, family feuds, and uh, blood revenge was rife, where the common tort was, if you kill one of ours, we will kill seven of yours. The principle of an eye for an eye was to ensure there wasn't an escalation of violence, to ensure there weren't personal vendettas. It was to ensure justice. It was to ensure that the punishment fitted the crime. Only an eye for an eye. Now, we shouldn't think that this only applies to the ancient ancient world. For when we are wronged, we also want revenge. We don't just want to get even, we want to make them pay. Maybe it's just me. But when I'm driving along the motorway and someone hoots at me, I immediately want to catch up with them and hoot back. And not just once, multiple times. I want to teach them never to hoot at me again. I am not living by a hoot for a hoot. Now I'm sure none of you are like that. And this this principle of an eye for an eye, the law of tit for tat, is also seen in the way we love. Jesus says in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, love those who love you and hate those who hate you. Eye for eye, tit for tat. And it's a basic principle of retaliation that we live by. If you do harm to me, I'll do harm to you. But if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. The basic principle of retaliation that most humans live by and it's almost what seems to mean and make us human. But then comes the shocking thing. Jesus says, in verse 39, But I tell you, do not resist An evil person. And then he says again in verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemy. Jesus is opening up. He's he's saying to his followers, there's this bunch of peasants. He's showing them a whole new way to be human. A way that doesn't seek revenge. A way that doesn't join armed resistance. A way that reflects the generosity and the love of God. And it's this that He calls us to. Now it's important to realize that when Jesus says, Do not resist evil. He's not saying we shouldn't resist evil at all. This true sense of what he means is do not resist evil with evil. That's what he means. We are to resist evil. But we're to resist evil in creative and nonviolent ways. We are to resist evil with love. And Jesus gives us three examples of how we can resist evil in creative and nonviolent ways. Firstly, in verse thirty nine, he says, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, the fact that it mentions, specifically mentions the right cheek, indicates that it's referring to a backhand slap, which was a major insult in those days. Because it's a way of saying, you are an inferior. I'm not going to engage you as an equal with a forehand. I'm giving you a backhand slap. This was very typical of what a Roman overlord would do to a poor peasant. How should they respond? Hit him back? That will just keep evil in circulation and make things worse. Jesus suggests we need to respond and resist this evil in a creative and non-violent way. By turning the other cheek. Which effectively says, if you want to, hit me again, but this time as an equal. You see, the first strike is with a backhand. To turn the cheek is to say, hit me with a forehand. And you can see the the confusion that must come over this Roman overlord. I want to hit this guy, but not like this, not as an equal. What do I do? The second example is in verse 40, he says, If someone wants to sue you and take the t- your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The rich and the powerful were exploiting the poor through very high taxes and the like and leading them to shame. When they couldn't pay their debt, they were taking them to court and literally suing them for their shirt off the back. Again, can we imagine the scene? Jesus suggests this is the way you should respond. Imagine a rich man dragging the poor guy into court, demanding his shirt, and the poor guy says, You want my shirt? Sure. Here you go. Take my cloak as well. And we need to bear in mind, that's all they used to wear. Can you imagine the court suddenly gasping, when all of a sudden there's this poor naked peasant standing in the middle of the court, and this red-faced rich man with the guy's shirt and cloak in his hands. Effectively, what Jesus is saying is shame them with your naked, your impoverished nakedness. Because that's what they've reduced you to. The third example he gives in verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. The Roman soldier was allowed to force a local citizen to carry their bags for one mile. But the Roman law was very clear, one mile only, no more. So can you imagine the scene? This Roman comes up to a poor peasant, says, carry my bag. After a mile, he says, give me my bag back. And the peasant goes, no, it's okay, I'll carry it, it's fine. Or imagine how shocked the, the Roman would, soldier would be, but he would also be quite alarmed. What if his, his superior is watching? He would say, no, no, you have to give me the bag back. No, no, it's fine, I'll carry it another mile. No, no, please, please give me the bag back. And you can see how the tables have been turned. Resisting evil in creative and non-violent ways. When a wrong party responds with generosity to the person who's wronged them, it's immensely powerful. A black South African Christian leader, when asked how he responded the many times when he was humiliated, and forced into doing things. He simply responded by saying, every time I was unjustly forced to do some menial task, I would do it. And then I would turn around to the guy and say, boss, is there anything more you would want me to do to help you? And he said, this would totally take the wind out of their sails. They wouldn't know how to respond to this kind of generosity. Resisting evil in creative and non-violent ways. But Jesus suggests this is not enough. We mustn't only resist evil in creative and non-violent ways. We actually need to love our enemy. We need to love those who hate us and exploit us. We need to pray for those who persecute us. You see, it's easy to go uh, the, the extra mile to give the person the coat and to even turn your cheek, but still have hatred in your heart. It's easy to turn your cheek in the most provocative of ways. And Jesus dares us, if we're going to follow him, to have a completely new attitude to love our enemy. But why? Why should we love our enemy? Well, firstly, actually before we look at that, how do you love an enemy? How do you love an enemy? I mean, we don't naturally have loving feelings towards them. We well, simply ask yourself, what would you do? And what would you say to someone you did love? then say that and do that for them. Compliment them. Give them good gifts. And pray for them. Pray for their welfare. It's very difficult to hate someone you're praying for. Why should we love them? Why should we love our enemy? Well, it's only love that can overcome evil. It's only love that can create true reconciliation. It's only love that can turn an enemy into a friend. Is it possible? Jesus also gives another example of why we should love. And it's because we need to, as a follower of Jesus, we need to reflect the very character and the love of God. He says in verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. A son is meant to reflect the character of a father, like father, like son. He goes on, God causes his son to rise on the evil and good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, God loves everyone without discrimination. God's love is unrestricted and generous. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to love the way God loves. You need to love everyone. You need to love your enemy. Is it possible? Is it possible to do that? Well, Jesus says it is. And he shows us how. Because Jesus' teaching is not good ad- just good advice, it's good news. He does it. He opens up a whole new way of being human, and He invites His followers to come and experience it. For when He was mocked, He kept quiet. When He was struck, He took the pain. And when He was nailed on the cross, He prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And on the cross, love triumphs over evil. And Jesus calls us, He dares us to follow Him. He dares us to love our enemy. And many people in the past have picked up this challenge. Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Bishop Tutu, Nelson Mandela. They have responded to evil through nonviolent resistance and love of enemy. They all played a significant role to seeing the end of evil through nonviolent resistance and love of enemy. They all suffered, but ultimately triumphed. No one can deny the unjust suffering that Martin Luther King experienced. At his funeral, after he had been assassinated, at his funeral, Dr. Benjamin Mays summed up how he suffered. And he said, if any man knew suffering, King did. House bombed. Time and time again for 13 years he lived under the threat of death maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by an own, one of his, a member of his own race, hit in a hotel lobby, imprisoned over 20 times, and occasionally hurt when friends betrayed him. Yet there wasn't any bitterness in his heart, there wasn't any animosity in his soul, There wasn't any resentment in his mind. And he went up and down the length and the breadth of the country, preaching non-violence and the redemptive power of love. Victoria and I, for our honeymoon, we went to the Maldives. And we just happened to be on one of the few islands that had really good surf. (laughs) And I just happened to have my way ski surfboard with me. So what I would do every morning, I would get up really early while Victoria was still asleep, and I would go for a surf. And it was great. Most people were asleep, there were only a few of us in the water, and the surf was epic. One day, One day, this big, mean-looking Brazilian paddled out. Bald, tattoos, big. And he paddled up to me and he said, You can't surf here with me. Get out. So what I thought I would do, I thought I I would just move further down and go on to the inside and catch some of the smaller waves this wasn't because of love for enemy this was because he was bigger than me and he was mean looking while I was there I noticed him, I watched him catch a wave and realized he actually really wasn't that good a surfer which I thought was typical of most guys with an attitude they normally can't surf nevertheless he did catch this really big wave and it was barreling you know how surfers love to be in the barrel where the wave is coming over them but unfortunately, he wasn't in the barrel. He then turned off the wave and started cheering himself. Yo, check my barrel! Oh! I was just thinking that he's sad. <laughs> but as he started paddling back out, something within me, like an intuition, said, This guy needs love. I can only imagine it was the Spirit of God because it would definitely not be anything I would be thinking. So as he paddled up past me, I said, Wow! That was an amazing wave! Awesome! Suddenly, we became like best of friends. He was like, you come over here, you come surf with me. And every time I'd go into the restaurant and he would be there, he'd walk past and he would wave to me and we became like best of friends. You see, love overcomes evil. Jesus calls us not to resist evil with evil but to resist evil with love. The problem with the eye for the eye principle, the tit-for-tat law, is at best it can only prevent violence and hatred from escalating. But it can't overcome evil. It can't bring about true reconciliation. Only love can overcome evil. Only love can turn an enemy into a friend. And today, Jesus is calling us. He is daring us to love our enemy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the example he shows us on how to truly be human. We thank you that he is shown the way. But Father, we confess that we struggle with certain people. We struggle to love certain people. Won't you forgive us and help us to not resist evil with evil, but to resist evil with love? Won't you help us to love our enemy? Amen.